0: Good morning. You guys will stand up with us. Let's, let's sing out together. Y'all yep, can be our rhythm section today if you'd like to.
1: see from the grave you've darkness
2: Please bow your heads. Father God, we come before you, Lord, in this time of praise and worship. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are sinners and we are broken, and we are lost. We are lost without you, but Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life for us. He is the light, Lord. He is the light that draws us out of darkness and draws us out of shame. And we find him because he's there seeking us out. We can't find him on our own, but he calls to us. And for that, Lord, we will be eternally grateful. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Make it all, all
0: God, we thank you so much for paying our debt. God, that you use your strength not to destroy us, but to restore us. God, that you send your son to redeem us and to bring us to yourself. And God, we just pray that um, just a thankfulness for that will just sink deep into our hearts and our lives. God, help us to be a people who humbly proclaim that we have a Savior. And God, I pray that uh, you'll help us to see your truth now, to hear it, God, and um, to take it from this place. Lord, we pray that you will make it a part of our lives. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
3: Good morning again. All right. Hey, if you will open your Bibles to Galatians, we are going to be in a different passage again this week. Uh, as we said last week, we're doing a summer series called In God's Family, and we're looking at different perspectives on the different roles that we have in God's family. And we said last week that we really need to emphasize uh, who we are as belonging to God first before we can understand any other role that we have in life. We, we have a primary identity As God's And you have to understand that identity, believe that identity, live out of that identity in order for you to function in any other capacity that God calls you, whether you're single or you have a huge family, uh, whether you're married or whether you're a wife or a husband or whether you're an employer or an employee or or both, whatever role God calls you to, we live those roles out, out of the knowledge and out of the security that we have as God's child. Being in God's family. That comes first before anything else comes. And we saw last week I mentioned that as I was preparing kind of for this uh, relationship and family series over the summer, that I looked at that pattern that Paul seems to follow throughout his letters where he would give all these instructions on the household of God and the different roles we fulfill as, as workers and employers and as family members and all these different things that we're supposed to live out. And he would always start with, remember that you're loved by God. Remember that. You're not going to be able to live out any of these other things unless you start there. And you see that in Ephesians 5. You see that in Colossians 3. And then he moves on to all these roles that we're supposed to fulfill. Therefore, be a good worker. Therefore, be a good husband. Therefore, uh, live pure as a single. Therefore, be a good kid or a good parent. You know, these other roles we have come out of being God's child. And so so last week we we looked at Romans where he laid this concept out of being adopted by God. This week we're going to see the same concept in Galatians, And then we're going to kind of move on. Next week is Father's Day, so we're going to talk specifically about fathering. After that, we're going to look at some uh, singles issues. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting and just uh, employer-employee relationships. We're going to look at different things over the summer together. But if you'll turn to Galatians 3, if you have uh, one of the black Bibles under the chairs, you don't have a Bible from home, it's on page 973. We're going to look in in Galatians, and what we see in Galatians that's different from Romans is Paul's writing in a crisis moment. It's more of an emergency letter. In Romans, it's this big, expansive, uh, kind of systematic theology where Paul's laying out all this doctrine and this understanding of the gospel and what God has done for us in this kind of systematic, big, broad, sweeping way. In Galatians, it's a shorter letter, and it's more of of, uh, an emergency situation. Because in Galatians, he's got people that that used to think they were loved by God, and now they're starting to think they need some other way to impress God. What happened is they used to believe they were adopted, and now they're starting to question that. Now they're starting to think, well, maybe I need to do something special to win God's favor. Whereas before, they had believed that they simply needed to accept God's grace and trust in Him that He loved them. And so you see kind of this crisis problem, and it's applicable to us Because as believers, that's the same temptation that we all have, right? You can believe that Jesus loves you, and then you can kind of start to slip into living in the old way. You can believe that you're a son, that you're a child of God, and then you can kind of veer off course and begin to live as an orphan once again. And so Paul is saying, remember that you're his child in order to live out any other thing that God calls you to live out. So we'll read, I'm just going to read three verses, verses 16, 17, and 18 in chapter 3. 3, 16, 17, and 18. And then I'm going to read a big, long, scary passage in chapter 4, okay? So we'll start with chapter 3, 16, 17, and 18, just three verses. It says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So we're saying this promise was made to Abraham that the whole world's going to be blessed through him, right? He's calling Abraham out and he's saying, I'm going to bless the whole world through him. That's kind of the beginning of Israel. And his offspring ultimately was, was Christ. That was the one we were all looking for. So it wasn't so much about the nation of Israel as it was about Jesus, the true Israelite. He says, so it was really about Christ. And in verse 17, he says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So what happens is these people are coming into Galatia and they're telling people it's not good enough to just trust in Jesus. You need to also add on this this big superstructure of all the law that God gave to Moses from the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You've got to add on all these external markers of being a, a law keeper of God. You've got to add in all that stuff in order for God to really approve of you. Paul's saying, no, it's still by grace. You're saved by grace. You trust in the promise that God made that I will save you, that I'll do these good things to you. And he's saying, look, if you want to look back, it, it was even that way before. God was already making promises and saving people by grace before the law ever came into the picture. So that's the argument that Paul's making here. He's saying, look back at Abraham. Abraham was called out. Promises were made to him by grace, by promise. It wasn't by how great Abraham was. It was because of God's goodness, his He's saying it's the same thing now. So he says, specifically, the law came 430 years after these promises made to Abraham. Moses and the book of Exodus and all that, the giving of of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in Arabia, that that happened later. God had already established that he was a promise-keeping, gracious, loving God that called out a people for himself by his grace and by what he was going to do, by the promises that he would keep on our behalf. So that's the argument that Paul's... Because this was obviously very confusing to these people because they're like, well, it's in the Bible. I guess we have to keep all those other things in the law. And they were getting confused and thinking they needed something more than Jesus. That Jesus was not enough. And Paul's saying, no, it's always been by promise. Skip now to chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. I apologize. Long section here. um, And we'll try to kind of speed through as, as we explain this. But we'll read verses 21 through 31. And then try to kind of unpack this and make sense of it this morning. What it means to live as, as children of God versus living as orphans that are trying to kind of make it on our own. Verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. If you Remember the story in Genesis it's about Isaac and Ishmael. One was promised and one was the son of a, of a slave woman. It says in verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise, meaning it was miraculous, it was what God did. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are like two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar, the slave woman. So she's talking about Mount Sinai specifically, the Ten Commandments, the law given to Moses. They're so saying that, that's like the one covenant, that covenant of, of law. Now Hagar, verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. The present Jerusalem at the writing of this that, that rejected Jesus. He said, we don't want Jesus. They rejected Jesus. We don't believe in that. We want to try to do it on our own. And he's saying, the present Jerusalem corresponds to Hagar, the slave woman, which corresponds to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and just trying to do it on your own. He's saying, that's one system. Doing it yourself. Saying, God's told me to do this and I can do it on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. That heavenly city where, where everything's going to be made right, Hebrews 11 says they were all looking forward to this, this future perfection and they hadn't made it there yet, and we're still looking forward to that ourselves. He's saying that heavenly Jerusalem, that's our mother. Verse 27, for it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Isaac was born to a couple of hundred-year-olds that were as good as dead. It was a miracle. It was by God's promise. It was what God did. It wasn't, it wasn't the birth of the slave woman that gave birth to this child in natural way, by the flesh, by their own strength. It was a promise. It was this miraculous thing that God did. And he says, that's, that's what we are. We're miracle babies. We're, we're adopted by God. We're his children by his miracle, by his promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He's saying throw out that burden of of the do-it-yourself, I can handle it. That's slavery, he's saying. But be free, be the miracle child that, that you already believed that you were at one time. Don't forget that. Don't forget that God has loved you by his grace and by what he's done. Don't fall back into that old system of trying to do it yourself and earn God's approval. Let's pray and and ask God to open this up and then we'll we'll explain a little more. Father, we pray that you would be here with us and that you would teach us this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction you give us. And and just pray that you'd help us to understand that your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts. that, That you would empower us to live As your free children. We thank you for the adoption you've given us in Christ Jesus. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Last year, uh, or last week, we talked a lot about adoption and this idea that that we are God's adopted children by faith. Right? That that God loves us because of his graciousness. Because of who he is. And he reaches out and he pulls us into his family. He goes and and picks us out and brings us in. And he makes us his own. He, He loves us. And it's because of what he's done. And as the the week has unfolded, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk to other people that are involved in in physical adoption. So by faith, we're all spiritually adopted children of God. That's how we get into God's family. Uh, We can't do it on our own. We're we're kind of lost orphans because of our own sin. But God reclaims us, forgives us, puts our sin on Jesus, and brings us in and makes us his child. So we have this this right as a firstborn son in Christ who, who lived perfectly in our place. And so we're all spiritual uh, adoptees, spiritual children through adoption through Christ. And as we were talking this week to several families that have been involved in in physical adoption and earthly adoption and and the joy of actually doing that as a family and and finding a child that's been abandoned or doesn't have a home and loving them and bringing them into your own home, we've got a lot of families that do that in our church. I think that's an an awesome thing that is a fruit of, of God loving us. And so we reach out and we love other people. It's a really cool thing that, that has happened at our church. A lot of families involved in that. And I think that's a beautiful reflection of how God has loved us. We, we love others by adopting children. That's one of the things James talks about is you know true religion exists, is this, to take care of orphans and widows and those that are on their own and need help and need love. And we've got families that are doing that. I was talking to one family that said that was one of the ways that they knew that they were meant for each other, this, this husband and wife, when they were first kind of courting and dating and getting to know each other. They talked about children and and they both had the same idea of, you know, wanting to have one or two kids of their own and then wanting to also adopt. And and they were like, wow, we're like totally on the same page. And then that that got them even more excited about each other as they were falling in love together. And and as I was thinking about this, this family specifically who hasn't adopted yet, but is praying and hoping they can adopt someday, I, I tried to imagine this child that they will adopt someday. I tried to think about this fantasy scenario of, of where this kid is. Imagine this kid's a six-month-old, has parents that can't really take very good care of, of her. And uh, she, she wants a family that will love her. So, so maybe right now she's working on her resume, right? Maybe right now she's, she's going to tutoring, she's taking classes, she's trying to be the smartest six-month-old around and, and get ahead and improve herself so that she will be lovable. And so that that family will choose her. Is that, is that how adoption works? Is that how, I've, I'm not adopted, so I'm not really sure. But I'm thinking that is not how it works. right? That The child doesn't you know, bone up on their resume and, and learn new languages and, and try to make themselves more lovable. Sad, sadly, that's, that's how we live, though, isn't it? We live as if that's how it works. We, we live as if we make ourselves lovable, so then God will love us. We live as if we, we make the adoption happen ourselves. We live as if we can be good enough on our own. And Paul is saying here in this in this book in Galatians that what happens is we realize we can't do it on our own. We we receive Christ as our personal Savior. We we thank Him for giving us, and we begin to try to walk with Him. And then we and then somehow we start to fall back into those old habits. We start to fall back into those old habits of being an orphan and not recognizing that we're loved. We start to live as if we are on our own and we need to do whatever we can to get ahead. We fight and scrap for whatever love we can find and, and we're no longer living as children of God. But we begin to live as slaves. We begin to live as orphans. We begin to put ourselves again under the law instead of remembering that Christ fulfilled the law for us. And so that's what Paul's trying to unpack here in these verses. That there, He uses all these different analogies that are all really saying the same thing. That we have to remember that we're God's children. And we have to live out of the freedom of that. And you can never be a good husband or wife. You can never be a good parent. You can never be a good employee. You can never uh, live freely as a single person. You can never live well as an employer over others until you remember this. If we remember this, then we'll start to live the way God calls us to live. The, the first analogy he uses or the first term he uses for, for sliding back into the old way is law talks about living under the law in that very first verse we looked at in chapter four, 4:21, Galatians 4:21, he says, "Tell me you who desire to be under the law. do you not listen to what the law actually says? He's saying, "Listen, you who want to be under the law." Now what does he mean here? He's using this in a negative context. He's saying, "You're slipping away from living as free children of God. You're not really living out your adoption as sons and daughters of God when you try to fall back to living." under law. What what does that mean? Because this can be a confusing phrase in in the Bible, and we can get confused about this, because there's a lot of different ways that the term is used in the scriptures. And here specifically, when you look, especially at the other parallels we're going to see in in a little while, you, you see that Paul talks about living under law, being in slavery, living by our own flesh. And so here, what he's talking about is not doing the right and good things that the law says. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Living as if you can win God's approval by perfectly fulfilling the law yourself. And what happens when we live that way is, for one thing, we shrink down the law. We shrink it down to just the verses that we like, and we start to say, hey, I'm keeping these verses, and those are the bad people out there that don't keep them. You know? And we start to become Pharisees. You know, those are the guys, the hypocrites, that were always fighting with Jesus, where they scrupulously kept the law, but it was... These laws. And Jesus was like, you're you're missing the most important parts. You're not you're not loving people. You're just keeping all these little these little rules and regulations over here. And you're missing the point. And so under law doesn't it doesn't mean that Paul doesn't like the law or Jesus doesn't like the law. The law is good. It tells us what to do, right? There's right things we should do. We shouldn't murder people. That's in the law. He's not saying, you know, don't live under the law, so go out and murder people now. It's just fine, we're Christians, we don't need the law. No, he's saying don't live under the law as if that's the way that you can win approval of God, as if that's the way you can you can work your way into His family by keeping the law. None of us can keep it, and we needed Jesus to keep it for us. We needed Him to take our place. I think when we when we get confused about the law, we're like the uh, there it is. We're like the dog. Any of you have dogs? Anybody? We just got dogs at Christmas time, and uh, pointing doesn't work real well with dogs. If you've noticed that. You know, you're like, hey, over there, go that way, or look at that. And they're just like, they, they smell your finger, right? Did that ever happen to you? Or they might lick your finger or bite your finger if it's really a really naughty dog, but, but they don't get it, right? They're, they're not understanding, and that's kind of what we do with the law. It's, it's pointing us to God's perfect, holy requirements. It's pointing us then, the next step should be pointing us to our failure that we can't keep His perfect, holy requirements. And then pointing us to that Savior, that true Israelite, that seed of Abraham, that one that came, that did perfectly fulfill God's holy requirements. And that's what the law should point us to. But we get all fixated on the wrong thing. and We start to think, oh, okay, I can do this on my own and I can be a self-made man and I can, I can win God's approval. And Paul is saying, you, you can't do that. Jesus kept it for you. You're approved of by God's grace, by what Jesus has done You don't fall back into the old way of trying to fulfill it on your own. You can't keep God's law. Jesus kept it free. Now when you understand that, then you begin to live as a child of God. Then you're not living as an orphan anymore that will do whatever it takes to get ahead. You're now a son that has freedom. And you're accepted and you're secure and you're loved. And then you have a freedom now where you're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of God. And you can begin actually fulfilling the requirements of the law. And that's what Paul gets into in Galatians 5 where he talks about then you're living in step with the Spirit. You're listening to the Spirit's voice in your life because you're secure and you're forgiven and you're free. And you begin to actually do good things. You begin to not be quite such a terrible person anymore. You know, we actually start to live out the fruit of the Spirit and actually love people and actually be generous and and live in kindness and live in community and help each other. And that change begins to take place in our life when we keep these things in order. When we don't try to live under the law as if it's a system of salvation, but we recognize that Jesus saved us, Jesus fulfilled the law for us, and only then can we actually begin to live out any of its righteous requirements. I think sometimes we think that if we fulfill the law perfectly, then God, if, if you're single, you might think, then God will find me that, that spouse that I've been looking for. Then I won't be lonely anymore, right? I think maybe if I, if I do things just right, then God will answer this prayer, sometimes married people think, then God will fix the spouse that I already have, maybe, right? You know, make, make them better. Sometimes we think, not, not just if I keep the law, but maybe I should tell my spouse what the law is. Maybe if I preach more law to my spouse, you need to do this, you need to do that. And Have you read this in Leviticus before? And, you know, if, if we communicate that to our spouse, then that will fix them. Instead of understanding this, this paradigm of, of love that Jesus showed to us, that... That he loved us first, That he kept the law for us, that way then we can accept his love, get that set first, and then love others. Maybe if we began to trust God to take care of those things, then we can live in contentment wherever our circumstances are, wherever God calls us to live. Instead of thinking, the law will fix me, the law will fix my spouse, the law will fix this problem in my life. Trust God to take care of it for us and then move forward with with whatever He puts in front of us. Again, we talked about as Christians, God calls us often to suffer, calls us often to follow Jesus in carrying His cross, in giving of ourselves the same way that He gave Himself for us. But that doesn't mean that, that God's goal for you is to be miserable. God loves you and He promises this perfect future. For you. you can look forward to that. And because of his love for you, that he's proved to you in Jesus. As John 3.16 says, he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. He's proved it to you. If you believe that, then you'll begin to live in freedom and begin to live in trust, able to fulfill his good and right requirements. The next phrase that Paul uses here, parallel phrase, is that we're not a slave. So we shouldn't live under law. And he says, this is parallel to being a slave. You're basically binding yourself again. And the illustration I found for that would be a pair of handcuffs. If you're free, why would you want to walk around chained up? Why would you want to go back? You've been set free from your slavery to sin and your fear of death and your fear of, of, the, of the righteous judgment of God on your sin. If you've been set free from that, why would you then bind yourself again and go back again thinking you're under judgment? Go back again beginning to live as if you're bound. Why would you go back when you've been set free? And that's what Paul is trying to say here and telling them not to live as a slave. In Verse 22, he says, For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And he uses that then as the analogy of the two ways. There's the, the life of the free person and the life of the slave who is, who is bound. In 24, 25, and 26, he says, this can be interpreted allegorically. These women are like two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery, she's Hagar. Hagar, the slave woman. And then verse 25, Now Hagar in Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem also, and she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. We're not children of the slave woman, we're not the children of the, the uh, covenant of law given on Mount Sinai with fear and trembling and the mountain shaking and all the fear of judgment, but we're children of the heavenly city, he says, the Jerusalem that's above, the, the Jerusalem where everything's made right, that, that city, that future, that perfect place we call heaven where, where everything's going to be okay. We're children of that future. So we're able to live this life in freedom because our future is secure. We're no longer in fear and bondage to, to judgment. We're no longer in fear and bondage to death. We're no longer in fear and bondage to our own sin anymore because we've been set free from that. Not in the sense that we never sin. Again, not in the sense that we're perfect, but knowing that we've got that future where everything's taken care of, where we'll be turned loose, where we will be right, where everything will be as it should be. I want to encourage you guys to continue to, to remember the freedom that you have in Christ. And one of the best pictures I have as we think about this is that freedom doesn't mean in the Christian faith you do whatever you want to do, it means you're set free to actually live as God made you to live. You're free now to play the game. You're no longer bound on the side, but you are now set free. And he says, go and be who I've made you to be. You, You no longer think that sin is the solution for your life. You're no longer afraid of death. You're no longer fearing judgment because all of that has been taken care of in Christ. You've been adopted and made his child, so now you can really engage. You can really give yourself away. In life, you can live life full speed and you can go all out and do whatever God calls you to do. And even if your circumstances immediately are not what you want them to be, you can trust that God may be calling you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and and give of yourself and sacrifice of yourself for others. He may be calling you to something difficult right now. He may be calling you to something painful in the relationships that you're in or in the relationships that you're not in and wish that you were in. But you can trust Him. To free you to give yourself to others. Instead of being self-focused, being focused on others because he realized that God wasn't self-focused. But he was focused on giving himself for you. The last analogy that he uses is flesh. Flesh versus promise. So, so we can go back to living under the law. We can go back to being a slave again. And he says the other analogy for that is, is living by our own flesh. Uh, living by our own strength. Depending on ourselves. Verse 23 says, But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. I think the NIV says in the ordinary way. I like that language. There, there's trusting God and his miraculous birth that he gives us. Or there's kind of doing life in the ordinary way. Trusting that, that we can do it ourselves. That we're strong enough. We're, we're good enough. And we can make things happen. But when I was thinking about this idea of, of uh, depending on our own flesh and our own strength thought of this picture here. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with the Do It Yourself Network. Um, There's also like the Home and Garden Network, and there's all these things. And I I don't want to pick on those of you that are good at this kind of thing, because I know God has just miraculously gifted some people where you can do this kind of stuff. But for me, this was my first thought of this kind of returning to slavery and pain and doing it yourself, you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, because when I when I watch this stuff, when I try to do home projects, I think y'all have heard me say I lived in an in eight a year old house for four years where we replaced everything, and uh, and everything I did didn't really quite work well, and it was painful, and I was never really good at any of it. And when I watch these shows now, it's it's, it's kind of like reading Leviticus, you know, it's like reading the Old Testament law, and I'm, I'm thinking I I can't live up to that. I can't do that. I can't do it myself. I'm not strong enough. And I think that's the picture we should have when we think about living out of our own resources. Living by our own flesh. I mean, we're all gifted in different areas. And I think those areas where, where we're the best, those are the areas where we're the most tempted to not rely on God's grace. I mean, it can be difficult for me. God, God's gifted me somewhat, not very much, but somewhat as a speaker. You know, I don't mind standing up in front of people and sharing. us, part of the gifting the natural set that God's given me. So Some of you are actually good at the do-it-yourself stuff. God has gifted you in these projects. And no matter what your gift set is, wherever he's called you and where you serve and kind of what kind of work you do, sometimes you can think, I can do this. this, this I'm strong enough to handle this. And God is saying, no matter what area of your life, don't see yourself as a do-it-yourselfer. Don't think that your flesh is enough to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Even in the areas of your strengths. Even in the areas of what you're good at, don't rely on your own resources, but continue to, to call on God, to trust in him, to empower you to do something you haven't even thought of yet, to, to empower you to do something you haven't even dreamed of or seen or heard of, that God wants to do amazing things in your life. And, and he's saying we shouldn't live as, as the natural child. You know, where Abraham and Sarah got together and they were like, God doesn't seem to be able to keep his promises, so we're going to have to get the slave woman in here and we're going to have a baby and we're going to kind of do this other thing. And he's saying, no, don't, just trust him to make the miracle happen. And, and the other thing I want to say is, is that doesn't mean not doing anything, right? Because there's this kind of, sometimes we can over-spiritualize waiting on God as, I'm not going to do anything until a lightning bolt comes, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that kind of spirituality, you know, let go and let God and you don't do anything. And I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying don't cut corners. I mean, Abraham, you know, Sarah set up Abraham with this other woman. Don't, don't cut corners. That's the kind of thing we should not do, okay? Don't, don't go find some other woman. Don't, don't cut these corners. Don't sin so that you can do it yourself and solve God's problems. What it means that we don't have to rely on our own flesh is it means we can trust God through difficult circumstances to achieve what He wants to achieve. Even if it looks painful for us. Even if even if we have to be holy and do the right thing. Sometimes in marriage, there, there's things, you want to take control of the marriage, you want to fix your spouse, you want to change things, and, and you want to maybe, maybe be unkind. Some marriages I've heard, sometimes you're tempted to say unkind things, or you may... Uh, get upset with each other. Uh, I'm joking, right? I, I meet with people a lot, but um, we all struggle with that. We we all want to cut corners and just fix. it. We want to just take control. I'm just going to fix my spouse. Take control. I'm just going to fix the situation. If you're single, you may be thinking, I can't I can't be alone anymore. I'm just gonna I'm going to cut corners and yeah, I thought I needed a guy that loves Jesus, but that's not so important anymore. We'll just find a guy. You know, anybody will do. And, and and we'll we'll cut these corners and we'll have different priorities. From the priorities that God has. And so what I'm saying here is don't depend on your own flesh to solve your problems. But trust in God. Trust that you can do the holy and the right thing. And you can walk with Him because He's got you covered. Because He's taking care of you. Even if it's painful. Even if it's a difficult circumstance at work. Or in your family. Or in your lack of family. That God's going to take care of you. Again, that doesn't mean don't do anything. What it means is is live right. Do what God calls you to do. Don't cut corners. Don't do the wrong thing. Don't do what you know you shouldn't be doing. But trust Him and follow Him in any situation. But there's this great verse in John 14:18 where Jesus is promising His disciples before He leaves them. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's not going to abandon us. And we can be very tempted to think that we're desolate that we're just, we're just orphans, that we're on our own, that we're lost, we don't have anything. And, and the promise that, that Paul quotes in the end of our passage in Galatians is from Isaiah 54, where, where God's people had, had been disciplined and they'd gone through terrible things and, and God promised them that, that he was going to bring good things even out of their barrenness. It's the analogy that Paul uses. The, the barren woman that can't have children, she will bear more children even than the one that can have children. And so you may be in a situation in life where you feel powerless, where you feel barren. Maybe you're a mom that wants to have your own children. Maybe you're single and you want to be married. Or as we joked about before, you're married and you want to be single. I mean, maybe you're in a difficult situation and you're in a painful place. And God is saying, don't don't break my commands. Don't cut corners. Don't do something stupid in that situation. But trust me that I can bring fruit out of this terrible situation. Trust me that I can bring good things out of what feels like to you barrenness. He says if if we accept the adoption that we have in Christ, if we by faith trust in His goodness to us and His love for us, that God can bring fruit out of any situation. And He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He promised us. He's he's not leaving us. Jesus said, I'm I'm sending my Holy Spirit. My Spirit's going to come into your life to be your presence, to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of of death and and to walk with you through those things so we don't have to fear evil, but we can know that He is with us. It's the same thing that He talks about in, in Romans 8, the spirit that He puts in us that cries out, Abba, Father. He talks about the same thing in Galatians 3 and 4. I'm going to put my spirit of adoption in you so you can call out to your Father in those difficult situations. And that's how we should live. We should live as children of God. And His Spirit reminds us and we should listen to His Spirit and, and call out to Him. No matter what your situation is, no matter what kind of barrenness or powerlessness you feel like you are living in right now, God can, God can bear fruit in the midst of that for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for, for adopting us. We thank You that You have not left us as orphans, but You've come to us in our aloneness, In our weakness, in our inability to keep your law, you kept it for us. In our inability to find family, you have become our family. Our inability to to be everything that we should be, you've been that for us and you are setting us free. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that, that really impact our world because we remember that we're your children. I pray for those here that have, that have not come to terms with that yet, that have not come to recognize that you gave yourself for us, that they would for the first time see that you are a gracious God, that yes, we have, we have blown it, we are all sinners, but that your son Jesus paid the price for our sin. And just by trusting in you and what you've done for us, we can be brought into your family. Pray that all that all that are here this morning that have never trusted in you will trust in you for the first time today. Asking you to forgive them, asking you to set them free, and that all of us would live in the freedom as your miracle children. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, all we'll will sing
0: with us. Sing one last song. in that it talks about some really specific actions. Um, so it talks about raising your hand and, and bowing and uh, um, standing, which you're already doing, so that's good. Um, but this is really just a song about uh, something that we really should be proclaiming in the church. Holy is the Lord, and the earth is full, of His glory. And so as we as we um, sing these songs, feel free to for really do those actions. They're not anything special in and of themselves, but... Um, just a way that we can communicate what's inside and on the outside. Um, so as we're, as we're singing, you can feel free to raise your hands or bow your head um, uh, just, just to worship God and to just kind of join together in singing these words. So let's sing out together.
3: shared with us, in reclaiming us and making us your own, by giving yourself for us on the cross, by forgiving our sins, by adopting us as your children. I pray that we would be able to live in wonder and amazement and freedom as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.